Hello, gentle viewer, and welcome to another episode of That Girl with the Curls. This is, in fact, episode 51 of the podcast. It is all about the musical Hamilton, and I am joined uh, once again by uh, Claire Hummel, who you'll remember from an episode uh, a little bit towards the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Claire and I always run into each other at Emerald City Comic Con or Geek Girl Con uh, in the Seattle area, so it's always awesome to get to talk with her, and uh, we have similar uh, tastes and uh, loves of history, so you will definitely uh, hear that in, in the episode proper. Uh, I will tell you right now, I'm kind of all over the board in this one in terms of um, trying to keep my thoughts together. Uh, when I really love a subject, I think it comes across a lot more scatterbrained because I want to talk about everything. So stick with it. Uh, Claire is always awesome to, to talk about these things with. So I promise you entertainment. I promise you fantastic things will happen. Uh, so yeah, just get into it. Uh, if you're a fan of American history, uh, first of all, spoilers, for American history, if you don't already know what happens in the uh, Hamilton musical, uh, this is just one of the the best things that I've listened to, and I want to go see for the life of me. People donate money, please. Just let's start a GoFundMe for for Sam goes to see Hamilton the musical. Uh, I will be eternally grateful to all of you. Uh, but yes, this is episode fifty one, the other fifty one of Hamilton the musical. today we're pretty good oh uh, yeah and uh I, I don't know if you saw the, the last email i sent you but this is episode 51 oh congratulations yeah exactly <laughs> when i saw that i was like oh my god this is perfect it's meant to be it truly was <laughs> uh can you hear me okay i, I sound decent you sound great yeah i can hear you just fine what about me awesome also lovely thank you (laughs) 
So uh, we're just going to get started here. This is, uh, like I said, episode 51 of That Girl with the Curls. And we're talking all about Hamilton today. Yay! <laughs> and uh, coming back to the podcast is uh, Claire Hummel. Claire, hello! Yay! Hi! Hey! It's lovely being back. Yes, it's it's been a while, but I always keep running into you at con, so it's it's like it never goes away. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I actually wanted to start this off with uh, first of all spoilers for history, because um, <laughs> Hamilton uh, obviously is the Broadway musical covering the life of life and death of Alexander Hamilton. One. Yeah. One of the founding fathers uh, is on the $10 bill, and most people just know that he got shot in a duel. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. Poor dude. Uh, But uh, I actually wanted to start uh, with something different, because um, I'm always kind of curious about uh, the American Revolution in terms of how it's portrayed in media. Uh-huh. Um, so, and I know that you're a, you're a big fan of the revolution. You have this wonderful tattoo on your forearm of the join or die, uh, political cartoon. I do indeed. It's very awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm quite jealous of it. <laughs> and, uh, so I was just, uh, I, I was wondering, like, do you think that the revolution is just hard to, to get across in media these days? Like, or, or it has been in the past? Ooh, that's interesting. I feel like history in general is always difficult to portray because you have to balance like historical accuracy with actually making it accessible and mm-hmm. relatable to modern audiences. And yeah, I think that the Revolutionary War suffers especially from being, you know, it's it's the founding of our country, yeah. and so it's heralded as this these these heroes who are put up on pedestals and it's like no it's actually there are a lot of gray areas about the revolution and it wasn't it wasn't entirely the most noble of causes but it's super interesting (laughs) because these people are flawed and because they're human and everything makes about as much sense as politics do nowadays it's not it's not like everyone in the colonies was on board with this decision you have (laughs) You have a lot of people who wanted to remain loyal to the crown, that sort of thing. So I think it's difficult to get past that and to find Mm -hmm. a way to portray it as that flawed sort of point in history. Yeah, it's always this case of, like, not only do we just laud the Founding Fathers to a degree where it's like, they couldn't possibly (laughs) have been anything less than gods. (laughs) Um, But but then it's also very hard to to make those, um, like the idea that we were very, we identified as British really right up until the the signing and the ratification of the Declaration of Independence. But even Mm -hmm. then, during the war, there were so many loyalists and it's just like uh, that the the Congress and, and, and all the assemblies and everything, they were like, no, let's find a way to stay British. Like we don't, we don't necessarily want a war. Yeah. Washington was doing his darndest to uh, like attempt to smooth things over with the crown and was failing miserably. (laughs) And John Hancock, who is my founding father of choice, Uh like when he was a young man working for his uncle, like he was out in Britain making connections with different, um, with different merchants out in Europe and he was he wanted to go to the coronation like he was such a fanboy of the king <laughs> that that's what he wanted and he was this staunch loyalist and then he ended up being like the figurehead for signing yeah 
name as large as he possibly could to screw over the king. So. <laughs> He's like, well, <laughs> we're just going to put that out there. It's like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die with all y'all. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah, like, um, it's, uh, it's interesting how uh, Hancock is your favorite. Like, is, was there ever a reason? Like, is it just because he was a big fanboy or... <laughs> Uh, there was uh, there was this book that my parents got me when I was a kid. This like illustrated children's book called "Will You Sign Here, John Hancock?" <laughs> and I thought he was so handsome in this book. And I look at it now, and he's like, it's kind of awkward, but but it's still my love for him runs deep. And so as a kid, when we visited Boston, I remember going to the Boston Commons and doing all the things John Hancock did and seeing his suit in the museum. And I just flipped out. <laughs> yeah. My, my, uh, my founder of choice is, uh, is, jo- is George Washington. Uh, nice. yes, I actually, uh, ended up reading, uh, Ron Chernow's Washington biography some time oh, yeah. ago. Yeah. I mean, it's like this thousand page tome about this man's <laughs> life and, and what would always appeal to me about him, or it, later on I kind of realized, was just how, like, anxious he was, you know, mm-hmm. about everything. Like, he was yeah. so concerned with, um, you know, not only just displaying himself to the people of the United States or to the colonies, but just, like, everyone in general. Like, he had the, the rules of civility uh, that uh, basically these um, French tenets of, of, like, courtly behavior... And, uh, and he, like, really adhered to them. There was, I think, one that, I was trying to remember, there was someone who remarked that he never smiled. And one reason was because he had just terrible teeth. And, and the other one was, I think, that there was a, um, a little, one of those little tenants that kind of said, you know, don't smile too much. <laughs> so, like, just the, the, the relative anxiety of the founders is kind of just fascinating to me. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but, um, in terms of like media representation, like I used to be like a huge, uh, civil war person. Like it was, uh-huh. it appealed to me and I think it was because of the romanticism of it. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many movies and TV specials and everything, you know, books and, and, and anything you can, you know, find about the civil war. It's like, oh, the brother fighting brother and then the slave, <laughs> you know, and then like freeing the slaves and the, yeah. the romanticism just of the South alone, uh, and the mystique of it, uh, the revolution doesn't have sexiness. <laughs> like, it's not a sexy war, <laughs> which I think makes it very hard to appeal to people because all of your founders are kind of guys in their forties. You know, what mm-hmm. Hamilton is the youngest of all of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, yeah, John Hancock was definitely forty something going mm-hmm. into the war. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's a war of ideals more than it is battles at times. Like, uh-huh. there's, I mean, there's plenty of, of battles, but they're few and far between. And then we don't win a lot of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, it is a messy war. That's the thing. Like, we introduced a lot of guerrilla tactics that mm-hmm. Britain thought was just totally unfair. It's like, you're not <laughs> playing the game. Uh, How dare you? According to the rule book, that sort of thing. But yeah, it was a messy war. It was... If you go back and look at the reasons that we're fighting, it's kind of like, well, we were kind of in the right, but... Sort of? <laughs> it's like, we don't want to be taxed, even though we were the least taxed of any of the British colonies. Yeah, exactly. and, and then they were like, you're saying we can't smuggle things anymore? How dare you? Damn it. It's like, wasn't it Hancock who was like, I'm going to deliberately smuggle things in? Yeah, exactly. It was was just a bunch of kids complaining that dad was was finally paying attention to them. Yep, yep. 
Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, and, and I think, again, that, that does make it appealing, I think, if you're a big fan of history. You know, it's it's looking at it from that direction, being like, yeah, we were we were kind of whiny little babies for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I just kind of it's a, it, that the that war is just so amazing to me because it could have gone wrong on so many levels. Yeah. Like so many places where if, if Washington hadn't like retreated at the right time or if this person hadn't been captured when they were, you know, uh, or like Ethan Allen hadn't showed up or something like that. <laughs> it's a, it's just one of those wars where are like, man, we could have easily just been British colonies once again. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and in terms of what we've had in, uh, for representation for the war, I think we've had, uh, we had 1776, the musical. God bless it. Oh yes, like I, I think every Fourth of July I play the Sit Down John song. Uh, that's so great. It really is. Just watching, um, I forget uh, his name, but Mr. Feeney basically uh-huh. <laughs> being just told to sit down the whole time, and he's like, "Vote for independence." <laughs> like, it's so good, and oh god, then there's the um, oh uh, Roland Emmerich's The Patriot. Ah, uh, The Patriot. Oh. <laughs> uh, it vexes me so that movie. It's, it's one of those movies, like, um, when I was in the graduate office in college, uh, we all had kind of that movie that really, like, just nodded us, you know, for, it's it's a historical movie in the in the sense of uh, quotation marks, <laughs> and, and The Patriot was mine, so, it was me going, like, it's, that's not the swamp, fox, you burn it, ah, it's like, uh, we wanted to have Braveheart for the new world, and it just didn't quite work out that way. No, not quite. It did have uh, Jason Isaacs as a as a Tarleton knockoff, which I did love. But... He's, he's always good. I loved him. Chavington. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just the... Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, of course he's the only slave owner in South Carolina who's, you know, sympathetic to his slaves. Like, of course he's this, of course that. And it's like, ah! Uh, sorry, again, it vexes no, me. No, I feel you. <laughs> And then I think the the most recent one has been uh, the John Adams miniseries with Paul oh, Giamatti. Oh, actually, the most recent would have been uh, Sons of Liberty, which oh, I haven't even had the... That's I right. I not had the chance to watch it, and I probably won't. Mm, um, don't. But I love the John Adams miniseries. That was... Uh, no, it was... I enjoyed that, yeah. It was great, and I loved, like, the attention to detail on that one, like, the pidgin English that they're speaking, and... Uh-huh. Um, and, and even the fact that John Adams is not speaking in that way because he's been taught differently. And, yeah. Uh, and I actually think Rufus Sewell makes a great Hamilton, so <laughs> it's like, you're so handsome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, Sons of Liberty miniseries, I'd forgotten about it because it was so terrible. It looks pretty rough. Oh, it's it's basically one big advertisement for Sam Adams being like the angsty, uh, he's the only one who gets how important the war is. <laughs> and it was sponsored by Sam Adams, the brewer. Like, the brewery. No, I'm oh, not no, even... I didn't realize that. Oh, I'm not even kidding. Oh, that's the, embarrassing the, for everyone. The first commercial break is, like, sponsored by Sam Adams. <laughs> like, you guys do realize he wasn't even very good at being a malter, which is what he was. <laughs> Feels like they they have a dog in that fight. I want to say yeah, <laughs> just a little just, bit, just a tiny bit, just a, a, a 
skosh. Let's say a skosh. They're invested in making Sam Adams the the Batman of. <laughs> it's so amazing to watch him like yelling at his cousin John, being all like, "You don't get it, man." <laughs> it's like, I don't even understand. It's like no, I think John Adams kind of a. Uh... <laughs> I think he kind of got it, you know, just a little yeah, what bit. Was going on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, you know that brings us a little bit up to date on on what's been represented for uh, the the American Revolution, and now we have what is probably like the biggest thing like in terms of Broadway in a long time, which is yeah. Hamilton the musical, and uh, it's I mean I, I think we can both just say that it's pretty friggin' amazing. It's amazing across the board. Mm-hmm. How how did you become aware of it, Claire? Um, my sister, Emily, uh, posted, actually, when Lynn first did the, um, the opening number at the White House, she posted about it, Mm -hmm. uh, back in 2009, and then when they're, like, over the past year and a half, there have been rumblings about Hamilton, and so I've just been kind of tracking its, its progress, and then it was once, once the album was released by NPR, and then eventually on iTunes, that's when it fully took hold. (laughs) Because it's one thing to just look at photos of the cast and be like, oh my god, this looks amazing, versus <laughs> listening to the soundtrack and be like, oh, it is amazing, and the it sings were... through, so it's like having access to almost the entire show. It's like, the stories and, uh, were true. It's pretty amazing. Ugh. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, yeah, you mentioning the, the 2009, uh, basically you can find this on YouTube, but uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, as the story will be told now, uh basically coming off of In the Heights, which was another Tony Award-winning musical that he wrote and started. Uh, he was taking a break from In the Heights and picked up... Take well, a break. <laughs> exactly. We will be <laughs> bursting into song probably very... It's inevitable. Exactly. It's, inevitable. Uh. it's like the other 51. <laughs> Uh, so he was he was taking a break as you do, and picked up Ron Chernow's uh, it was like an eight hundred page biography of Alexander Hamilton, and he he's, he claims by the second chapter he wanted to start writing a something about it like he wanted yeah to... he already started googling like <laughs> Alexander Hamilton rap yeah exactly. Alexander Hamilton musical he, like he, someone must have done this already of course because who wouldn't think of doing a a, a musical about the Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton <laughs> it just completely you know it comes to mind when you think rap and founding fathers well it's hilarious how now in retrospect it's like what. Well, yeah, it does make perfect sense. Exactly. And it makes perfect sense for Lin-Manuel to be making it. And mm-hmm. just, it's like all those pieces fall into place. And in retrospect, it seems like such a perfect fit. But it was so brilliant for him to make that to make that juxtaposition happen it's, so brilliantly. It's like the stars just aligning and being like, yes, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you will write this. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, and so he, he started what was basically known as the, the Hamilton mixtape. Uh, which started with that first song that you can see in the YouTube video at the White House, and it's the opening number of the show. Uh, and Lynn uh, basically sings all of it from the perspective of Aaron Burr, who famously was the person who shot and killed Alexander Hamilton in the duel. And it's amazing in the video, I love it, because him just trying to explain what it is, and then the laughter that kind of follows suit throughout the song is like, People almost not realizing what's happening, but enjoying themselves nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who does this? Like, apparently Lin-Manuel Miranda does. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and now it is one of the hottest tickets on Broadway and is just like here, you know, I, I picked up the album on iTunes basically, and then haven't stopped listening to it. It's like the, 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 uh, the soundtrack is nonstop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, so goddamn good. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, <sighs> it's just such a mix it's a mix of so many things that i love all mm-hmm. at once and it's such a brilliant way to present history because i think one of my biggest critiques of the way that media presents history and the way that we often attempt to teach history is we're so focused around historical accuracy meaning like facts like numbers mm-hmm. and dates and names and places and battles and all of the things that are really easy to check off on a multiple oh yeah um choice test multiple choice test there we go um (laughs) you got me halfway there (laughs) we teach history through this like lens of that completely separates you from the actual people who are making history and Mm -hmm. experiencing history and as a result like people know when things happen but they don't actually understand the motives behind the civil war behind the revolutionary war Mm -hmm. and i i think it's so much more important to be able to frame history in a way that actually relates it to modern politics and to modern society and the way hamilton does that by framing it through the modern immigrant story Mm -hmm. is just brilliant because you can't tell that story from the perspective of a bunch of a bunch of you know as you said 40 year old white guys (laughs) and have it mean the same thing like it's so much more powerful to really make it relatable in in a way that we can understand it in the same way that people in the 1700s would have understood it. Oh, exactly. And and what I love about it uh, as well is that it's it's very much a postmodern narrative. It's uh-huh. uh, it's basically taking thoughts and motivations. It doesn't get all of the the time, you know, the the basically like when things happen correctly. Like the timeline's a little bit jumbled up, and that's fine because what you're yeah, you can you can tell that he was making conscious choices mm-hmm. to shuffle the timeline around. Like he is so obscenely active on social media. Mm-hmm. To, I I have no idea how he pulls it off, but he often will, like, address the reasons for changing things up, where he's just like, oh, I needed this to pace better. It's like, yeah, that's the nature of the medium. You aren't making a documentary. You're making a musical. (laughs) What? He's not making, like, a Ken Burns documentary where (laughs) just sit there and you hear banjo music in the background. (laughs) Just slow pans. (laughs) Old paintings, you know. Look at this picture of Alexander Hamilton painted over 200 years ago. And his bajillion children. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, like, and, and as a postmodern musical, it, it really focuses on narrative. And the musical itself is about narrative. That um, they spend a lot of time, much like the founders did, focusing on posterity and how history was going to look at them. And it's just so remarkable for them, you know, to be able to do that, where they're like, I'm going to tell my story, like, I'm, I'm going to frame this through the eyes of the guy who shot him. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the, the whole, uh, Eliza's whole story of wanting to be in the narrative and then taking herself out of it and then putting herself back in is so heartbreaking at times. It is. And I just, oh, I also love any 
any history that really presents like the point of view of women who are often kept out of history mm-hmm. and pre- like presenting it as a choice of hers to remove herself from the narrative uh, during the um, during the affair and everything is just oh it's so brilliant yeah I love it it's giving agency to these women who didn't necessarily have a voice and and burn the song wherein uh, Eliza is is just heartbroken that her husband has cheated on her and then expose this affair to the entire world basically. Uh, <gasps> Like that song, it's almost hard to listen to, you know, oh, yeah. because it's just so raw. And Philippa Sue, who plays Eliza in the in the soundtrack and on stage currently, she is just so good at capturing that sadness and that anger, and just like when she does that, you, 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 you know, it uh. it's just so good how. I mean, because this musical is essentially, the first half is the rise of Alexander Hamilton, and the second act is his complete downfall. Mm-hmm. Like, he destroys his own career, basically. It's, I mean, his biggest antagonist is actually Thomas Jefferson in this <laughs> musical, which uh, if uh, I was actually reading a book about uh, uh, was Joanne Freeman's Affairs of Honor, uh, so talking about, like, you know, the honor culture of the 1700s and whatnot. And it, it makes a lot of sense why Jefferson and, and Hamilton hated each other so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, you read some of their letters and you're like, oh. Like, oh boy. Ah, okay, this was never going to get yeah, better. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just watching this man basically kind of destroy his own life because he's so concerned with, you know, still rising above his station in a lot of ways. The the song Satisfied in the beginning of the musical perfectly encompasses, like, how he ends up, you know, uh, dealing with things in the second half, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, I mean, if we want to, like, go through... I, I mean, I don't want to go through song by song, obviously. <laughs> like, that would be, we'd be here all night. Uh, but there's 46 songs on the soundtrack alone, uh, with, like, I think there's one or two left out because... Uh, you know, talking to Lin Manuel Miranda he, or listening to him or whatever, he said that he wants some surprises on the stage show. <laughs> so nice. there's yeah. a couple left out, and, and you're going to see it, aren't you? Yes, in yeah. March. I'm so excited. Oh my March god, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Come back and tell me all about it. It was my it's my Christmas gift to myself, my dad, and my sister. I was just like, "Yep, I'm going to do it. <laughs> get those tickets." So cool. Um, yeah, because I heard rumblings about maybe they 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 might film it. Uh, oh, yeah, that would be fantastic. Oh, my God, um, right? Because I guess every Broadway show is filmed for posterity reasons. Um, I think in the, I think it's the New York, uh, New York University, something like that. So there is a recording of it probably somewhere, but it would be really cool if they did kind of like an Into the Woods style recording. Yeah, so uh, I remember growing up on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember. But yeah, the, like the last play I was obsessed with, um, and have been for probably over a decade was uh, the Shakespeare's Globe production, all male production of Twelfth Night that I saw when I was in high school. And then I got to see again about a year and a half ago when they revived it. And it's just like, it it just killed me inside (laughs) that I wouldn't be able to see it again. And then they had released a DVD version of it. And I was just like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) I don't have to keep reliving it in my brain there we go yeah because i mean i i I can't necessarily get out to new york like some people uh 
<laughs> I can't necessarily either, but I'm doing it. I know, right? It's like if I wanted to bankrupt myself, probably I could do this. But uh, And the thing is, like, when they finally do schedule, like, a touring company, and when it gets to Seattle, it's not going to be this cast. And mm-hmm. that's the harder thing to deal with sometimes is, like, every musical I see is always the, the touring company, so it's never got the same... I, sometimes it never has the same, like, um, I, I don't know, spark or energy that the, the original cast does. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I mean, in terms of being really into a musical, like, I haven't been this into a musical since the, I think it was, like, the 15th anniversary of Les Mis <laughs> <laughs> that they played on, um, on PBS forever. <laughs> like, that was when I was super obsessed. Like, I could sing all the songs and, you know, would on on many occasions uh the same with hamilton like i'm i'm listening to podcasts but i'm not listening to them i'm hearing you know i am not throwing away my shot that's <laughs> like, constantly oh my god like every time it's either that or right hand man just playing a lot in my head <laughs> just because i think christopher jackson has like one of the most beautiful voices <laughs> oh yeah absolutely oh um but yeah, so th- this show is obviously not going to have the same cast when it comes to Seattle. So it would be really awesome if they could record them, and that way I could watch them the whole time. Because <laughs> that would be awesome. It would be pretty nice. It would be. And I think it's also good, even as a teaching tool, because like you were saying, it's it's difficult to match that kind of energy and zeal for, for American history, especially the American Revolution. And I think that if you have a, something you can record and show to students in classes who can't necessarily get out to Broadway or to the theater um, and, and use this as like a jumping off point for talking about, a, you know, a, a number of issues with history and narrative and like women in the revolution and race and, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's great that they are offering like substantially discounted tickets to schools and classes. Mm -hmm. And I know my friend Casey got to take one of her classes. She teaches out in New York and she got to take one of her classes. And I got this frantic text afterwards where she was like, have you heard of Hamilton? I think you'd love it. And I was like, yes, yes, I have. I love history. I love it. But I also understand how dense it is and mm-hmm. how difficult it is to get into and so I do not blame people for not loving history but when you make it accessible like Hamilton or like Kate Beaton's comics mm-hmm. suddenly it just opens the door like the number of people who are now reading Chernow's bi- biography who are researching Alexander Hamilton in their free time mm-hmm. like I love the Revolutionary War but I didn't actually know a ton about Hamilton mm-hmm. I you know yeah. I knew like a Cliff Notes version of his life, mm-hmm. uh, but this is this play has taught me so much and has gotten me to go back and read all of his letters and just dig further into it in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have done otherwise. So no, exactly. Uh, I had a friend years ago who um, who asked me like why history was so hard to teach, and this is while I was a graduate student and teaching, you know, at the same time. And, uh, and I was like, well, we just teach them to read the, the chapter and then answer the five questions in the back of the book. I mean, that's, that's not learning history. That's just trying to get through an assignment. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's what makes it difficult for people to, to find anything that they can latch onto in history. Because the further we get away from an event, the harder it is to find that commonality. Um, especially when books are trying to give you the bare bones of it. (laughs) Absolutely. And it gets so twisted. Mm -hmm. You know, it's history is told by the victors 
and the privileged. Mm -hmm. And so there's this whole side of history that you don't hear about. And it's, it's tragic to see how, how much digging we have to do to actually get an accurate portrayal of what was going on two to 300 years ago. And, uh, and yeah, and, and again, like Hamilton presents that, uh, jumping off point, which is just fantastic for students. Like I'm, I'm actually like more excited for students of history now <laughs> than anything else. It's like you get to have this in school now, maybe, hopefully, or or can at least. I mean, the musical itself, if you just listen to the soundtrack, gives you plenty of stuff you can glean. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's it's amazing to think that like from this point onward. One, people are not going to be at all surprised by rap musicals about American history, which oh is amazing. God. Yeah, <laughs> And also, like, Hamilton now, it, it will just be like, who doesn't know about Hamilton? Who doesn't know the basic framework of his life just yeah. because of this play? It's and- remarkable. And I, I remember suffering through... AP American history. And I think back on it, I'm just like, that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> How did I not just relish that and revel in it? It's just the way it's taught. And it's, you're just so stressed mm-hmm. trying to learn everything all at once and memorize so many dates. And it's so nice when you can just take something like this and just do a really deep dive on a single person or mm-hmm. a single topic. And by doing so, like, you understand how he relates to the rest of the Revolutionary War and our young country. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah, like, the two of my favorite songs are, are also, like, the, the rap battles. Um, yes. Because what, I mean, you, you, you said it yourself, it's a rap musical, which, you know, other than In the Heights is these are the only two, like, what we could call traditional rap musicals, which is also a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, uh, because people say that there's rap in a musical, but then it's like, oh, I, I don't know if you know what rap actually is. Yeah, it's underutilized, or it's written by people who don't actually appreciate the art form. Exactly. And Lin-Manuel Miranda obviously appreciates it, revels in it, and knows how to use it so well in this uh in this musical because it's there's rap and there's also like pop and funk and uh i mean just there's all kinds of fusions of music styles in this musical uh which which makes for a great storytelling device because rap is so fucking fast uh there are so many words i know musical i love it like you can never cram this much information into a traditional musical no it'd be like 10 hours long yeah. <laughs> like if you tried to say anything that happens in 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 either of the rap battle moments, like in a traditional musical, that's it it just wouldn't be accomplished in the amount of time that it is. Um Yeah, they did a breakdown. I think it has if I'm not mistaken, 10 times as many words as 1776, which I love. Oh my God. Just tenfold. Well, and I think uh. they clocked, um, cause David Diggs has the, the, basically the, um, the Lafayette rap during uh-huh. Guns and Ships is I think clocked as the fastest song, like I think ever at this point. <laughs> like, I think there's one other song that outclocks it and I can't remember what it's called, but. Okay. Fine. You know, take my, my facts away. <laughs> but but it's amazing because you listen to that and it's it's almost like this badge of honor if you can, you know, faithfully, uh, you know, rap along with it. Um, yeah. There, there's the hand for hand videos that are on YouTube 
and which is this, you know, I, which, which is what I love because the cast of Hamilton before, like, I think their matinee performance or their, their evening performance will go out and do a lottery for, uh, you know, like there's like 20 seats that are available and, uh, and they basically are performing while they're doing the lottery. And it's so amazing, uh, watching them do like these little performances and one of them was like three people who wrapped the guns and ships section. <laughs> Lafayette's part. They had David Diggs do it first, and then these three people go up and do it as well. And all three of them got it. And it was nice. it was interesting, like the the different styles just amongst those three people. It was like it was a black woman, a white guy, and a white girl. And the black woman got it like, you know, almost beat for beat in terms of the rhythm. The guy almost did, and then the girl was just basically almost saying the words, but without the musicality behind it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was very interesting how that went down. <laughs> but nonetheless... Okay, you're, you're right that Guns and Chips, Hamilton, is uh, 6.3 words per second. Oh, wow. So that is the fastest. Woo-hoo! And then it's Not Getting Married Today from Company is hmm. 6.2 words per second. <laughs> so very close behind. There we go. Is Okay, I haven't listened to that song in a long time, so we'll have to like put them up like back to back. Be like, hey. <laughs> Not getting married is is terrifyingly fast. There we go. It also has very few breaths in between. It's, uh, oh boy. <laughs> so you're asking for people to faint by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. It is funny, like, trying to sing Hamilton, how much of it has been like, oh, I need to be better about my breath control i need to learn oh my god how yeah to actually pace myself and, and then it's just like trying to remember which word goes where because the the beauty but also the frustrating part about rap is it's not even just the words but it's the you know pacing of it uh it's the you know trying to get the uh, the right amount of words and the right amount of time in the like, really? yeah i was just talking with emily about how the Every day while slaves are being slaughtered and carted away Mm -hmm. across the waves, he struggled and kept his guard up. Like, that took me so long to (laughs) figure out. And then when they're singing on the soundtrack, it's just like butter. Yeah. like beautiful butter. No, uh, the the whole bit with... um with uh, Washington when he's first, you know, you know, rapping when it was like, it's like, can I be real a second for just a millisecond? <laughs> like trying to get that whole bit down, especially when they get to the, no, I'm the modern, uh, no, I'm the model of a modern major general, the venerated Virginian veteran, <laughs> like all that stuff. Like just trying to get that rhythm like down was difficult after a while. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. But yeah, but when you accomplish it, you're like, yes, I've done something with my life now. I've cracked the code. Exactly. I didn't write it, but yeah. I have to perform it twice a day. <laughs> but when I do the karaoke version, I got it down. <laughs> yeah, once Hamilton starts showing up in karaoke, then we'll all be given our chance to shine. Then we're going out, Claire. We're going out and we're just doing Hamilton karaoke. Like Emerald City or Geek Girl Con or something. Oh my god, if that's like, I think that there are YouTube karaoke things available now where it's just like, we're doing this, this is happening right now. <laughs> entire Hamilton musical performed on karaoke. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, getting back into like the, the, the music and, and everything, because uh, I I would hate to put you on the spot with this, but I know that there's no way there's one favorite song, but do you have at least five favorite songs you can oh, talk God. about? Um, Aaron Burr, sir. <laughs> um, uh, the Election of 1800. Mm-hmm. The Room Where It Happens. Oh my gosh, so good. Oh my gosh, so good. 
Dear Theodosia just kills me. It's so cute. It's such a lovely little lullaby. Mm. And both the stories of tonight, I just... Uh, <laughs> I, I could keep going, and it shifts, you know? It's just like, oh, sometimes I'm really in the mood for the Adams administration. Or... <laughs> Who was ever in the mood for the Adams uh, administration? But I feel like Story of Tonight and Aaron Burr's are, are ones that I just, like, drift into unconsciously. Mm-hmm. I, I love the amount of ways he can rhyme Burr. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> like, especially Burser is kind of my favorite. <laughs> it's just like, first of all, is that word even used all that much anymore? So to find, like, to find those rhyming schemes that work so well you know just with what he's created with Aaron Burr sir you know and how he does it it's just like you you hate to ask those like questions like how does he come up with it like it's just such a it's a terrible question but at the same time you're like I want to be in his brain and be in Lin-Manuel Miranda's brain in a not creepy way (laughs) and just figure this out (laughs) it's like donate your brain to science sir please so we can all figure it out but uh, but yeah, no. Uh, like, dear Theodosia is just so so cute, so sweet. It's so sweet, and just how their their voices meld together. Like, um, Leslie Odom Jr. is so amazing in this musical. Just soundtrack alone, like mm-hmm. I just get so many goosebumps when I hear um, "Wait for It." Oh, "Wait for It" is <sighs> amazing. He has such fantastic range. I just really mm-hmm. love it. Yeah, it's just, it's, and it's so, I mean, just again, with the styles kind of merging together, like, it's sort of rap, but it's a lot more, like, um, R&B song, and he just has sometimes those, like, uh, almost, like, reggae vibes to it as well. (laughs) It's just so interesting. Uh, But even, like, when, so, in the musical, there's double casting. Uh, David Diggs plays both uh, Marquis de Lafayette and um, and Thomas Jefferson and I'm gonna get his name so wrong, but it's a uh, what is it? Um, Okirete? I don't know if that's how he says it. <laughs> Okirete uh, um, Onadoan. Oh, I'm so sorry. They call him Oak. I always hear him being called Oak. Um, so I'm gonna do that too, because uh, I apologize for the terrible pronunciation. If you're listening to this, Oak. Uh, but he plays both Hercules Mulligan and James Madison. And then, uh, what is it? Uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones plays Mariah Reynolds and Peggy Schuyler. Uh And they do this um, uh, intentionally so that you can kind of have the juxtapositions of the first half of the musical where Hamilton is amongst friends, um, people who he fought with who were loyal to him, basically. Yeah. And then in the second half, you have him going up against these people, or... Yeah, people he fought with. Yes. <laughs> Again, the turn of phrasing, it's... it's ah, really so good. <laughs> uh, and and I, I, first of all, love being able to shout Hercules Mulligan. <laughs> when that, they... that guy, who'd have thunk? Like, who would have thought him, of all people in history, would suddenly... Uh, Rise to power is a name yeah. you could just shout at random moments. Who would have thought? Like it's so it's so great. Just even in that first, um, the first uh, meeting of these four, uh, you know, young revolutionaries and everything. He's just like, bra bra. I'm Achilles Mulligan. Up in it, loving it. Yes, I heard your mother say Mulligan. Whoa. <laughs> uh, 
like those are the things I love too because when he's talking about um you know it's like it's hard to have intercourse over four sets of corsets and then Lafayette's like wow <laughs> like that makes me happy no more sex pour me another brew son let's raise another glass to the revolution <laughs> so easy to just fall into it <laughs> yup but then, yeah, in um, the world turned upside down when they're like, we had another, you know, we had someone on the inside. That's right. Hercules Mulligan. <laughs> like, just being able to shout that is just so fantastic. It makes me so happy. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, you look up portraits of the guy and it's just, <laughs> just a pretty, <laughs> not so pretty flattering, foreign looking guy, <laughs> the revolution, but. Well, and, and I think that's also something that needs to be addressed, too, is that the casting of this was completely colorblind, um, except for key roles where they wanted uh, the king and I think the, the farmer uh, who's refuted, which is another favorite song of mine. <laughs> like it's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is it's not colorblind so much as it's not white. Yes, it's, exactly. Like, if you look at the casting, it's very clearly, it's like, okay we need these roles to be cast as actors of color. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the way... such a huge difference. It's, it really does. Like, you couldn't even imagine a bunch of white people on the stage rapping like this. <laughs> Not that it can't happen, but it's uh, it's one of those things where, like, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was saying, it's it's the uh, telling of our history by America now, basically. Mm-hmm. And exactly. that makes sense, because, you know, America isn't all white. <laughs> like... Uh, but it's also uh, it's also intentional in terms of kind of portraying these people who are not um, uh, as enlightened as the Americans are or are representing the old world. Uh, so you have George the Third, played by Jonathan Groff, <laughs> who is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Like that whole um, "You'll be back" sequence. I always feel like he's prancing around the stage when he gets to the da da das. <laughs> Hearing that song for the first time just kind of blew me out of the water. Just... Were you just like bowled over laughing? I was like, oh, who thought to do this? This is amazing. And it's so great, too, because when he, there's like these history jokes that are kind of peppered throughout the musical. So he's like, a, it's like, uh, when you're gone, I'll go mad. And you're like, oh. Aw, poor guy. <laughs> like, if, if anyone knows about the madness of King George, like, it's so great. And also, if, if uh, have you ever read, I, I assume you've read, um, what is it? Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. I was just thinking about rereading it recently because because of the uh, miniseries that came out. And oh, I, I didn't loved want to watch it until I had reread it because I'm pretty sure that book was so freaking dense mm-hmm. that I have forgotten more about it. <laughs> than I could possibly remember at this point. Um, See, I read it right before the, the miniseries happened because I was like, I hadn't oh, nice. had a chance to read it because it's written in, in a style that I'm not necessarily that big into, that whole, like, Victorian kind of uh, Jane Austen way, you know? Mm. Very stilted, very distant. <laughs> not my cup of tea. Lots of footnotes. Oh my god, so many Lots footnotes. Footnotes that are chapters in and of themselves. <laughs> footnotes for days, man. Uh-huh. Uh so the miniseries actually, I think, does a really good do- job of condensing the book, like really hitting home like the key points of the novel in, in a way that's awesome. digestible. <laughs> so can't hi- can't recommend it enough, actually. Nice. Um, but the, the um, king in 
Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, for those who have read it, that's King uh-huh. George. Like, he's mad. He's yeah. nutso. <laughs> Uh, so anyone, I'll have, to, I'll have to find. There's a photo of me somewhere. I was on. We're on a family trip, and I was like in the last chapters of Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. And there's a photo of me like sitting under a Roman aqueduct, like reading this book, just totally ignoring the architecture. And I feel terrible, but my mom loves that photo. One can't deny the attraction of books. I mean. Uh-huh. It's really, come on. Uh, Hamilton would probably be very proud of you for doing that. You're you know, oh, sure. keeping your head down in the book and you're focused and <laughs> like, uh, uh, I was going somewhere with this. I lost it a little bit. Where was I, Claire? <laughs> what was I doing? Uh, oh man, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, head down in a book. Alexander Hamilton would be proud. Uh, Let's just address the naked ambition of Alexander Hamilton for a second. <laughs> it's like because uh, with with musicals, I mean, there's there's often a narrative like structure, and with Hamilton, it kind of kind of goes everywhere with it. Like uh, the idea that first of all, Hamilton is not telling this story, but we get his "I Want" song. It's the second song, basically. Uh-huh. Like uh, "My Shot" uh, is a brilliant, very like all encompassing song about not only like does it have to set the stage of the revol- of the revolution at the time but it also functions as his I want song like I'm going to do all of this stuff look uh-huh. at me I'm super awesome <laughs> like uh but then we don't get Aaron Burr's I want song until 2 thirds into the musical and he's our roughly like other main character yeah yeah and so it's it's so amazing how this musical doesn't, first of all, doesn't condemn Burr for what he does. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, he's kind of framed as the antagonist, but in a way that you're inside his head the entire time, so you understand the subtleties of that and mm-hmm. and the fact that he's not. He's yeah. just another guy who got caught up in this stuff. It's like it gives you a very, like, very balanced way of looking at the these two people who we know, I mean... It would be really hard for people to not know that the Hamilton Burl, you know, Bird duel is going to be the end of this musical. Essentially, uh-huh. uh, I mean, that's like the one thing everyone really knows about these two guys is that they had a yep. duel and then one killed the other one. So you know, and it, it's amazing how the 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 musical kind of frames it in this way where we're always constantly reminded of it too. Like the yeah. the whole idea of saying my shot and how shot is used throughout the musical, the link and specifically like throwing away your shot mm-hmm. is to choose to shoot into the sky. Yep. Um, or and the-, the the counting up and counting down. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet Philip! <laughs> oh God, Anthony Ramos <laughs> is so adorable. Uh, uh-huh. And well, there's also like just even these like sounds of lingering gunfire that uh-huh. that are kind of in the air because the. The soundtrack itself was produced by uh, Questlove and Black Thought from The Roots, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, which is amazing. Uh, and even I think in the liner notes it says that Questlove uh, played the table for them during the <laughs> the, uh, the I'm John Lawrence and the place to be like <laughs> because they didn't have the table I think originally, and then they're like, no, we just <laughs> recorded him doing it. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just so. It just, it knows exactly how to kind of get you to that moment where you see how inevitable this duel was, Uh you know, 
And I, I love that it does that without saying like, hey, Hamilton was the good guy the whole time or Burr was the was the villain. It's just how we've framed history throughout, you know, books and who's telling the story. Uh, all that I think is just it's so brilliant. I think like how it how it works that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then not just... to not to constantly bring it back to John Hancock. Ooh. No, that's what I always do. Of course. <laughs> that was actually a huge problem with biographers of Hancock uh, up until, like, the sort of 60s or so when things kind of took a turn, was that they were uh, he didn't really have a ton of remaining documents. His wife kind of despised him. And so there was really no one left around to tell his story. Mm-hmm. And because most of the people in power didn't really think fondly of Hancock because he was always kind of foppish and full of himself and all of this. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that he was a humanitarian, the fact that he was a man of the people and gave away all of his wealth to help the revolution and to help, like, the downtrodden common man. Like, that was lost to history until someone finally took the time to dig it up in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And so there are all these biographies of John Hancock that are just vicious. <laughs> like, these, like... 19th century biographies of him are just terrible and vicious and insinuating that uh, uh, just the worst things about him and it's all just because that's how people perceived him until someone thought to challenge it and and even with Hamilton that same uh, problem persists because uh, there's a there's a bit in the musical where they're talking about how he was a, a he and Burr were reliable with the ladies, um, and the whole Tomcat bit is actually very much disputed, if not outright untrue, because it was based off of how the Adams were writing about him, uh-huh. that John Adams and Abigail so despised Hamilton that they kind of concocted this idea that he was a womanizer and a Tomcat. Which some, which a lot of people latched on to, and which has more or less been kind of proven to be false. Uh, so, and I know I've seen stuff where uh, Lin Manuel has just been getting like, you know, he'll he'll get every once in a while a person on Twitter being like, "You do know that the Tomcat thing probably isn't true." And he's like, "I know." <laughs> it's like, do you think the person who wrote this musical and who had Cherno on as a consultant while he was writing it? doesn't know these things <laughs> i'm pretty sure he knows more than you do like he's probably like an uh, an amateur hamilton scholar now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> based on this musical alone uh but yeah it's you know hamilton also left behind a huge body of work in terms of his own writings like i, I think the count was like 26 volumes or something like that uh and then you uh the comparison to burr is you know burr had two maybe <laughs> like like this just the amount that both produced and then how people wrote about them because the unfortunate thing is that he died uh and all of his enemies outlived him <laughs> like they just lived into their 70s and 80s and then could say yeah. whatever they wanted basically uh because who's going to refute them very few people yeah. <laughs> like uh and and what i what i love the most too is that uh one of one of the other ham for ham videos i think one of the first ones is uh, Lin-Manuel reading the first five paragraphs of Chernow's book, which are all about Eliza uh, and how when she was an old woman and she was the one who carried the torch. She was the one who uh, made sure that something of her husband's legacy was upheld. And he starts like uh, tearing up at the end because, you know, she's the, the way it's described is she's sitting there and she's just lonely. She's in her 70s, basically, at this point, And she's just like, I miss Hamilton. 
Like she truly loved her husband. And uh, despite what we, we eventually know happens. Uh, and so to, to make it kind of Eliza's story towards the end of the musical is just a really amazing way of not only like looking at how women kind of were in and out of this man's life, but also uh-huh. during the revolution, like what, you know, what women could accomplish uh, because of the, the changing times, basically. And it's, it's difficult as well because you have, um, was it Satisfied, where uh, Angelica, played by uh, Renee uh, Elise, um, oh God, what is it? Uh, Renee? I'm terrible at actors. I know. Thanks. Renee Elise Goldsberry. I have the uh, uh, IMDb, or um, actually the wiki up, so <laughs> looking at this, that's how I know their names. Uh, but uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry you know, she breaks it down basically and satisfied like these, these three fundamental truths of being a woman in revolutionary, uh, America, basically, uh-huh. you know, you know, at the time, yes, uh, Angelica Schuyler was married, uh, when she met Hamilton for the first time, but also that, that idea of she's a woman whose job is basically to marry a guy who will support her family. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she, it's not very much a, a love thing. It's okay. We need to make sure that financially you can be uh, supportive of whatever. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I just find that, uh, it's great that he kind of gives that moment to women throughout the musical. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, Eliza just kind of takes that on, uh, not only with the, you know, with burn, but then that last song where she talks about all of her accomplishments, where she's like, I'm putting myself back into the narrative because you're not here anymore, and I have to, I have to do this now um, to make sure that your story is told. That the story of Washington and these soldiers, are, you know, she donated, she basically fundraised to make the Washington Monument, uh, you know, and then that she founded the first uh, orphanage uh, in Washington Heights, no less. <laughs> like, like these are amazing accomplishments of a woman who is trying to carry on the spirit of her husband. And even then those efforts only get so much, um, you know, credibility given to them. So, I don't know, that was just my long winded rant. About that. I love it. I'm, I, I was just thinking of, I'll have to track it down at some point, but someone once wrote this lovely article about our perception of history. Mm-hmm. And this was specifically about women, but about anyone who isn't, you know, writing the actual history books and how often it's just women still have personalities. They still affect things in huge and important ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they do it behind a screen or around a corner or, you know, like where people aren't noticing what they're doing or choosing not to write it down because they think that women aren't worthwhile but it's so important to show that side of history mm-hmm. to like even if we don't have firsthand accounts of it to at least assume that women were leading rich and gratifying lives even when they weren't in a place of political or social power yeah uh, um especially again we go back to burn uh when she talks about like you know uh the world doesn't you know history won't have access to my thoughts on the matter you know, mm-hmm. they won't be able to, you know, they'll only have to speculate what Eliza thought when, you know, when you broke her heart and everything. And it's just kind of speaking to the fact that we don't have a lot of Eliza's um, correspondence. We don't have any of those letters. We have lots of Alexander Hamilton stuff, but not not very 
I think very few of uh, her actual letters. And I think often that silence is seen as consent or approval Mm -hmm. historically when we're looking back at women's place in the narrative. And I love that this presents it as like, no, we don't get to know how full of rage or how forgiving she was. Like she could have been any of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... It's just a great way of playing with the idea of narrative as well in the in the musical itself. Uh, and then, yeah, just when she gets to just kind of, I just love it when she starts talking about all of her accomplishments. And you're like, oh, man, you're so awesome. <laughs> like, and I mean, we should probably talk about the Schuyler sisters a little bit because they are the best. <laughs> the Schuyler sister song. I was I was actually listening to it today while I was working out and I was just getting huge goosebumps when the towards the end when they're like, history is happening in Manhattan. You know, just that whole swelling of the music. I was like, goosebumps, goosebumps, so Such many. Such a good song. That and Helpless and Satisfied are both exactly mind-bogglingly good songs. Like, And if you want to talk about, again, narrative, like who's, who's telling the story? Like, I love that juxtaposition of Eliza looking at the courtship and it's it's all very like very neat and clean and we obviously like fell in love with each other and you know everything worked out and then the reverse of that when we we hear Angelica's side of it and it's just like yeah he's kind of you know maybe more into me possibly and i just kind of took him over to my sister because yeah things were probably not going to work out <laughs> it's like yeah yeah, you're, and it's like, it just makes you look at the characters in very different lights. Like, you see Hamilton one way because Burr is framing him like this, and then you see him through Eliza's eyes, and then you see him through Angelica's, and it's very rare that we actually do get Hamilton's version of himself, you know? Um, I think, what was it, Eye of the Hurricane? Uh, that might be, like, the closest we really get of him just kind of talking about himself uh you know just just like you know uh naked and alone and out there and everything like i i feel like that's the rawest he gets i don't know if you feel that same way yeah i think that's fair mm-hmm. the rawest i kind of like that <laughs> it's so it's such a hard word to say to like rawest 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 it's like saying rural <laughs> can't say that word for the life of me um, and I remember what I was talking about before when I lost it. It was the um, the uh, the casting of people of color. Because uh-huh. uh, I want to actually really want to get back to that because it's important in terms of of casting musicals and casting historical figures in the sense that it should no longer uh, come to the point where we're like, well, they don't look like them. You know, uh-huh. it really has to boil down to now. It's like who can capture these people the best. Uh, because not only will, you know, children of color can find, can see this and be like, yeah, black, Hispanic, Asian people can be playing people of history and it doesn't have to matter that, you know, they're not white, you know? Yeah. I think that's a huge, that's a huge thing of like people showing their inherent biases where someone just goes into this and they're just being like, well, well, they don't really look like them. It's like, how much do you actually know about history that you can speak to the accuracy of this? And if that's the one thing that you're getting caught up on, that, like, you aren't evaluating the rest of the musical, you're just evaluating the race of the main players, it's like, hmm, 
why is that the one thing that you get caught up on? Exactly. It's like, uh, don't tell me that David Diggs isn't an amazing Thomas Jefferson, because he's the only person now I can see playing Thomas Jefferson. I know, it's actually, it's fascinating. Now, whenever I'm going back and reading stuff about the Founding Fathers, I'm like, yep, just picturing the cast of Hamilton. <laughs> it's, like, it's all I've got now. It's like the only framework I have to work with anymore. <laughs> all I see is Lin-Manuel Miranda whenever I see a, a chapter on Burr and Hamilton. Uh-huh. It's like, oh yeah, there's Leslie, there's Lynn. Yeah, it totally works out. <laughs> like, uh, I, I mean, just... You know, from uh, even looking at Broadway, like Broadway has in, in some ways also kept to, um, you know, color, you know, uh, you know the, how they cast things where it's just kind of like, oh, we're not going to do this with this character because they're not this color. It's gotten better, definitely. But uh-huh. there was kind of that, you know, the great white way basically with with Broadway, whereas now we're seeing a lot more of like, well, let's just get the person who fits the role, you know, that's what's important because if they can sing this, then they are the character, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, especially like, um, I think I said, oh, in this case, it matters that it's not like a white dude. Yes, it does matter if it's not white. <laughs> it's like it, it works because it works. Exactly. I mean, and again, you're, you're also trying to show that juxtaposition of old world meets new world. You know, with the king, with the farmer, uh, with, uh, I think, Charles Lee as well. It's like, these are the guys who don't get it. They're the ones that are holding us back. Uh-huh. Uh, they always have kind of the harpsichord playing behind them. <laughs> yeah, they are definitely called out. <laughs> Cause, and even in The Farmer Refuted, what I love about it is it's very much like the lame is confrontation scene. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's I, I think it's Lynn's version of that because he's such a huge huge Les Mis fan too, uh, for him to have that because I just love how he layers the words over each other in that way where you're just like, yeah, that's right, <laughs> like it's like don't you know please don't read you know that stuff, <laughs> and and just how how the music very much um, becomes kind of symbolically showing you intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing because how it starts off with um, the guys in the pub and they're just kind of like doing the really old school style uh, rap version, like, I'm John Lawrence in the place to be, you know, that. Yeah. And then uh, when Hamilton kind of shows up, he starts singing in very different, uh, I think how I heard it described was like different couplets. Yeah. Um, and I also love how he like gets ahead of himself and he like just, he starts rapping at such a speed that he's like oh god oh sorry <laughs> am i talking too oh yeah exactly like when he breaks it down he's like oh. i'm so sorry I, I i won't disappoint you <laughs> like, like he is written as just being so so determined and so focused on the goal and just to the point that he's just distracted and not mm-hmm. paying attention to anything else that's going on around him and it's uh <laughs> pretty great when I, I also love how uh lauren's tries to match him at one point like when they're when they're doing my shot you kind of hear lauren's trying to like do the shot part and he he's kind of like off off the beat <laughs> a, for a second but then he like it it's just that way of showing that they're kind of meeting him where he lives uh-huh. and it's really amazing and then uh even in satisfied when you hear uh angelica match him and his singing it's all these points where you see like Okay, Hamilton has his like little motifs that he uses, and then when people match him, 
uh, that shows like where their uh, their intelligence lies. Like, are they as smart as he is? Like, are they on the same level as he is? Uh-huh. Um, because I think Angelica is the only woman who raps in the musical as well. Uh-huh. And so that's supposed to be like, yeah, they're totally soulmates. You can tell because she's the only woman that raps in this thing. <laughs> it's like, um, but then the, I mean, and there's also a, did you ever get a did you get a Rihanna vibe off of Mariah Reynolds? Like in any way? Um, I don't know. It was just, it's just one of those things like the way uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones is singing kind of just, you know, it kind of screams uh, Rihanna to me. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't know. It was just, it's those weird like things you pick up on. Uh, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, like D- Davi Diggs um, as Ch- Thomas Jefferson reminds me of like Andre 3000. <laughs> I mean, did you see the casting call where, um, Lynn specifically calls out for like blank meets blank and it would usually be like an R&B or rapper Mm -hmm. meeting a character from musical theater no I haven't seen this is it is it like a article or a video or something like that let me look it up okay uh yeah because uh YouTube you can just you can just fall down this rabbit hole of videos um one of them is uh, I mean all the ham for ham ones and, uh, and then there's just all the behind-the-scenes stuff, which is just fun to watch. <laughs> like, uh, did you see, uh, have you have you participated in the Force for Ham uh, hashtag on Twitter? No, I have not, but I've seen some of it. Oh, it's so good, because uh, the most recent news to come out of the Star Wars uh, universe is that Lin-Manuel Miranda... Oh, I know, he's doing the canteen. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm this is just... Yeah, no, this is just for people who are listening and don't know, but yeah, he, uh, J.J. Abrams went to the musical and asked him if, you know, and it was basically like, I will do anything to help with Star Wars, and so uh, Miranda is basically, he's written the canteen music because John Williams didn't want to write it. This is what I love. This is how I want every professional relationship in my life to happen, and every once in a while it does, Mm -hmm. thank God, where you just go up to someone you really admire you just kind of like joke like <laughs> wouldn't it would it be great if we worked together <laughs> what a great funny joke what a hilarious joke but no really what if we actually work together please let and, me work with you i, I would love to <laughs> apparently that works for lin-manuel miranda and oh i'm God. so impressed it's like all the uh, stuff that have come that's come out of hamilton alone i mean i'm just so happy for this guy's career yeah. Like, pretty much all of the actors from uh, from Hamilton, I feel like they're just going to eventually go on to, like, bigger and better things because of this. Absolutely. Uh, oh, my God. Like, all of... I, I don't imagine any of them will lack for work at this point. I, I just find what Lynn did super accessible. Mm-hmm. Just the way he talks about it in in interviews as just being like this is something he was passionate about so he put a shit ton of work into it Mm -hmm. and hearing someone say that to frame it as like no i spent six to seven years working on this thing it's good because i worked hard yeah it's just like oh right that's a thing i can do (laughs) like every interview i read with him i'm just like okay that's how i can approach my personal projects is just buckle down dig in your heels so you're saying that having a great deal of passion for something can actually work out huh. in the end? Interesting. <sighs> hmm. Interesting. I will have to subscribe to that magazine. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we're at about an hour. So uh, I guess before we wrap this up, uh, Claire, is there anything that you feel like we haven't touched on concerning the musical that you would like to address? 
Well, I'm going to just read you some of the amazing um, descriptions oh, from yes. the Hamilton casting call. Excellent. So Eliza Hamilton has her, it has essentially gives the description, fiercely loyal, self-possessed, proud, evolves from lovesick, wealthy young woman to the sole keeper of her late husband's legacy, Alicia Keys meets Elphaba. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> so great! It's so fantastic. So each, each one says so angelica schuyler is Nicki minaj meets desiree armfeld it's it's outstanding uh, eminem meets sweeney todd is alexander hamilton oh my god <laughs> that would be the greatest mashup ever uh aaron burr is javert meets mostaf oh my god i just know i just want like a javert like oh my god it makes oh, the confrontation sound a lot better now. Yeah, it kills me. Oh, and I love Thomas Jefferson as Harold Hill meets Drake, which is just. <laughs> I'll have to. I'll have to send you the link to all yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it is a fun read. <laughs> all like anything that concerns Hamilton now is just fun for me. Like I, I watched the Charlie uh-huh. Rose interview, and I'm not even a big Charlie Rose person, but oh gosh, no! I sat through that shit just so I could hear Lynn and uh, I think the director. Um, what's his name? Let's look at this thingy. There's a director somewhere. I think it's like Kale. Ugh. I hate when I can't do that. Like, <laughs> uh, Thomas Kale. That's it. Uh, so the two of them talking to Charlie Rose and, uh, it's just like, I, I think Charlie Rose is, you know, he's very admirable, but it's like, I want someone else to be interviewing him, please. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like Mo Rocca interviewed him and I loved when he was on Jimmy Fallon, uh, talking like what I loved the most was Jimmy Fallon fanboying over Lin-Manuel Miranda. It was adorable. Oh so gosh. cute. <laughs> like, uh. And then just having him do freestyle rap is just so amazing. Oh, I also, um, another charming little small world thing was realizing that Lin-Manuel Miranda is friends with the McElroy brothers who do My Brother, My Brother and Me. This oh, really? This podcast that I door uh, it turns out lynn was just a huge fan of the podcast <laughs> and so at some point uh so there are two references in hamilton to their podcast which is pretty amazing mm-hmm. and at a certain point he came on and he wrote a song to the tune of uh fugue for tin horns from uh, guys and dolls the <laughs> like horse racing song uh-huh. he wrote a song about like ghost horses for them <laughs> it's pretty amazing <laughs> So good. I just love seeing these different these different sides of my life just colliding. Is it, yeah, and 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 just speaking of references, like Hamilton has a, a huge number of references to a lot of things. Like um, I think I did mention the sit down the they use the sit down John line from seventeen seventy six. Yes, it's the only like lasting piece of what was a John Hamilton, uh, not John Hamilton, John Adams rap. That you can actually find on YouTube, he do, he he raps this cut song from the musical, and it's all about the Adams administration, <laughs> and it's so great because you can see uh, Renee Goldsberry just losing her shit over like how much fun she's having with this song. <laughs> uh, but there's, I mean, there's references to um, was it the modern major general? Uh, so that's what Pirates of Penzance, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, so there's a lot of, like, uh, if you go on uh, Genius.com. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, there's, you can go through each song, and then there's annotations. Oh, yeah, I've contributed to those 
Uh, did you? Which which one yeah. did you contribute to? Uh, I think I contributed to the my brother, my brother and me stuff, and mm-hmm. I've I've suggested a couple updates for some that just seem crudely written, but they have to get approved, and they are picky. <laughs> so picky. <laughs> so let this be known, everyone. If you're going to make annotations, you're going to have to wait for approval. <laughs> And, and I do love that there are some that uh, Lynn has actually like uh, signed off on. He's added his own, and they've referenced it on the website and everything. So it's it's just this really great fan amalgamation of 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 info for this amazing musical. And it just I think it just shows the level of passion not just the creative team has had, but just fans in general. Um, like how much inspiration has been drawn from this musical alone. Like, I can go on Twitter and see tons of people quoting, like, lines from the musical or participating in Force for Ham or just Ham for Ham or Hamiltoons, like, all of these hashtags. It's it's actually, like, really amazing to find that community of people that are so into this. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, have, you, have you done any fan art yet? I was gonna hold off until I actually saw it, but I don't think I can. I just want Lynn to notice me, and I feel like fan art is one of my ins. Well, if you have anything you want me to attach to this music, this uh, episode of the podcast, I can totally put it out there. Like... Not yet. Okay, not yet. Um, I, I will say that you uh, you did one of my first commission pieces at Emerald City, which is the uh, yeah. Molly Pitcher. Molly Sure. <laughs> she she still sits in a very you know uh, lofty spot on my on my hearth. So <laughs> she's there, and I always look at her and be like, "You're awesome." <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. Oh. Uh, like I, I would commission you to do stuff all day long if it wouldn't bankrupt me. <laughs> and if I wouldn't die from not having nearly enough time. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. You're a busy woman. I get it. <laughs> uh. But one day, you and I were going to do, like, a revolutionary comic or something like that. Someday it'll happen. It will. Like, this is where it happens, Claire. This is where it happens. <laughs> you got to be in the, in the room. room where it happens. <laughs> Yay! Uh, speaking of 18th century comics that are really good and historically accurate, mm. Family Man by Dylan McConus. I wholly recommend it. It's about, like, rural Germany. It's... It's... Oh, it's so specific, and also, uh, well, also it's about werewolves, I should also say that. Of course. But it's amazing and beautifully done and so accurate, like, (laughs) her ability to research that time period in that specific region is beyond my grasp, and so it's, uh, (laughs) totally check that out. There we go, and everyone should be checking out uh, Kate Beaton's comics as well. Uh, I used to have them uh, taped up on my desk in the graduate office. (laughs) Uh, I had tons of them. Like, my favorite was actually always the, um, uh, oh, what is it, Poe and uh, Vern, I think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He's like, we're bros. (laughs) That last panel of of Poe's eyes on that letter is just so, it just makes me so happy. (laughs) But she had some really good ones for for Washington, too, where she meets him, and she's like, what are we going to do, George Washington? We're going to chop down some fucking trees to shed a tear for liberty. (laughs) Also, uh, was it Brad Neely's Washington rap? I think. Yes. Also worth people's time. Like he saves the children, but not the British children. I haven't thought about that so long. So good. Oh my god, Washington, Washington. Oh god, (laughs) like six foot tall weighs a fucking ton. Has anyone made that comparison yet with the Hamilton fandom? 
I think I saw it attached to something on Genius, but okay. yeah, so someone did it. <laughs> but there's a lot of like really great, like revolutionary, like comedic stuff out there. Um, I know Fairly Odd Parents will occasionally bring back the Founding Fathers, and their version of Washington is just like chopping trees crazy. Like he's just going after <laughs> trees, going wood, wood. <laughs> he sounds like Paul Lynn, kind of. It's so good. Um, and there was also a cartoon. I don't know if you ever watched this. Uh, Hysteria. No. Oh my god! So this was back in the days of Animaniacs, and this was a history-oriented cartoon where they would just go through like different like uh, events in history and have like characters who were kind of involved in it. And they had a, a version of George Washington who was basically Bob Hope. Like, he'd just be standing there with a um, a golf club, basically. <laughs> and they do a whole, they do the whole, um, what is it, the crossing of the Delaware <laughs> to the night before Christmas. Nice. So good. Um, this just reminded me of this show from God knows when, let's see, 2002 to 2003, called Liberty Kids. Oh my god, I remember it was that. so terrible. <laughs> so bad. Like, these kids are involved in history. Oh my god! <laughs> it's it's amazing, like how you start talking about it, and then just all these other things come back to you <laughs> about like we tried to get kids interested in this, and it failed miserably. <laughs> or you could just go and watch um, what is it, Jack of All Trades, the uh, Bruce Campbell vehicle <laughs> from the makers of Xena and Hercules. <laughs> Because they, I think they had, they had Napoleon in it at least. Yeah, yeah. They had like a midget playing Napoleon, so. Oh, it was, it was Vern Troyer, I think. Mini Me. Oh, huh. Yeah, pretty Small sure. No, no one correct me on that, I don't care. <laughs> so, but, uh, Claire, I'm so happy that we could finally do this, and. Yeah, thank you for, uh, enabling my Hamilton fandom. I enable and all things. <laughs> It's like, as long as there's someone to help me talk about these things, I will enable the crap out of you. <laughs> like, uh, So uh, before we go, uh, where can people find you online? Um, go and find your art uh, and, and such. <laughs> My rarely updated portfolio site is clairehummel.com, but you can find me elsewhere under the name Shumla. It's S-H-O-O-M-L-A-H on Tumblr, Twitter, DeviantArt, God knows wherever else. Everywhere. Yeah. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Darling underscore Sammy. You can visit the com, which is where we, you know, I usually post this as well as on iTunes uh, for the that girl with the curls. Oddly enough, Maniacal Geek came from a John Adams quote. <laughs> uh, he was writing the margins of Mary Wollstonecraft's uh, treatise on uh, the French Revolution. And he wrote in the margins, Maniac, know your limits. Uh, so I took that to be like, okay, John Adams, I will. <laughs> so that is the origin That's story. Great. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> like, that is the origin story of Maniacal Geek right there. Good to know. Uh, exactly. Uh, but yes, uh, you can go on iTunes, give us stars, and you know, say nice things, hopefully. Uh, but uh, on behalf of uh, That Girl with the Curls, and once again, thank you, Claire. And good night, everybody. Night, guys. Mm-hmm.